All right, well, good morning. My name is Matthew. I have the privilege of serving as the uh, teaching pastor here at LifePoint Westerville. And I hope you and your family have had a great week, especially those of you with school-age kids. I know the uh, first week back in school is a busy time. It can be kind of hectic. Uh, but hopefully you're starting to get kind of settled into your new routine, the new rhythm. And we're praying just for a great school year uh, for, for your family. So you have kids or grandkids who are starting school right now. Uh, man, we're just excited for, for this upcoming year. Well, we are in week two of our uh, 10-week teaching series through, through the book of Revelation, so you're jumping in at a pretty early point in it. Uh, but if you missed last week's message, I would really encourage you to go and give that a listen. You can find that on the church's website. Normally, I want to encourage you to necessarily go back and listen to a, to a message, but we kind of set the, the stage for, for the series, talk through uh, what Revelation is all about. So if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to check that out. And then also check out our LifePoint Drivecast. Um, so each day, Monday through Saturday, one of our teaching pastors is going to be uh, uploading a five to seven minute devotional where we're going to be going verse by verse through the book of, of Revelation. And we really think this is just going to be a super helpful resource for you as we walk through this series. And it's a, a great thing to listen to uh, while you're driving to work or dropping your kids off at, at school. It just takes a, a few minutes out of your day. But you can access the Drivecast either through the LifePoint app or by subscribing to the, uh, to the podcast. Uh, but we just want to, to give you that resource because we know that Revelation is one of the more, uh, more challenging books to, to read. Uh, it's a, a book that's very controversial. There's a lot of opinions about it. There's a lot of different interpretations. There's a lot of confusion around it. And a lot of people have some really strong opinions and strong thoughts about it. But here's kind of the, the big idea that, that we're hitting at throughout this series each and every week. Revelation is more about a present hope than a future calendar. It's more about a hope that we can have today as believers than it is about some future calendar or, or, or timeline. It's meant to, to comfort us today. It's meant to confront us and how we're living, but it was never intended to, to confuse us. See, it's less about when Jesus will return. It's not trying to give us dates or a prediction of when that's gonna happen and more about who we are to be and how we are to live as we eagerly expect and await for Jesus to one day return and to establish his kingdom here on earth. And in the opening chapters of Revelation, Jesus, he begins to, to address and speak to these seven churches in Asia. These were, were literal historical churches and these churches were, were being evaluated. They were essentially receiving a, port, a report card. And they were being graded based upon the spiritual condition of their heart, on how faithfully they were following Jesus. And as you read through these uh, seven different churches and how Jesus speaks to them, man, they received some pretty mixed reviews. They had some things they were doing really well. They had some, some A's on the report card, and Jesus encourages them and affirms them on those things and says, hey, keep going, keep pressing on with that. But then they also had some things where uh, they were falling behind a bit, some weaknesses, some deficiencies, and Jesus calls them out on those things and invites them to something better. He invites them to repent and to turn back towards him. And today, we're gonna look at the last of the seven churches that Jesus speaks to. Now, when I was a kid, one of my absolute favorite things to do on a Friday after school was to go to Blockbuster. 
Anybody uh, remember Blockbuster? So I remember my mom would pick me and my sister up from school on Friday. We're getting ready to go into the weekend, and we would stop at Blockbuster uh, to rent either a VHS and then it became a, a DVD uh, for, for the weekend. We'd rent the movie for, for a couple of days, and we would each get to pick our own movie because, of course, my sister was three years younger than me. We were never going to agree on the, uh, the same movie. And I would pick one of the the Star Wars movies or Lord of the Rings or one of the Jason Bourne movies. And my sister would always pick one of those awful Mary Kate and Ashley movies. You know what I'm talking about? Like, and there were dozens of them. She never brought the, the same one home, but I'd get my Star Wars movies, she'd get Mary Kate and, and, and Ashley, and we'd go up to the checkout counter and, and we'd see all the candy, and this is where they, they really made all their money. And we'd get to pick out our favorite candy. I would get Twizzlers or, or Milk Duds, and we'd get our candy, we'd get our movies, and we'd go home for the weekend, and we'd try to watch those movies as many times as possible before we had to return them on, on Sunday or, or on Monday. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. None of you went to Blockbuster this past Friday. None of you uh, picked up your kids or your grandkids from school and said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to swing through Blockbuster and rent our favorite DVD for the weekend. And why, why is that? What happened to, to Blockbuster? Simply put, Blockbuster became complacent. They had their business model, which was brick and mortar stores, and we're going to rent out DVDs. And they were not looking to change. They were not looking to adapt. And as everything around them was advancing in terms of technology, as everything was becoming more and more digital, they held their ground and refused to change. And eventually, companies like Netflix surpassed them and put them out of business because they became complacent in their model of business. This morning, I want to talk with us about the danger of a different kind of complacency, spiritual complacency. And we're going to look at four questions surrounding this, this topic of, of complacency. What, what is it? Where does it come from? What are some signs of it in our life? And then most importantly, how do we overcome it? So what is spiritual complacency? Where does it come from in our life? What are some signs of it? And how do we overcome it? And to answer these questions, we're going to look at a church, a group of believers who had become spiritually complacent. They were stagnant in their faith and in their relationship with Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up to Revelation chapter 3, uh, either through the you know, YouVersion Bible app or your actual physical copy, or you can scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you, and you'll find a section called Notes where you'll see all the verses and all the points listed for today that you can follow along with. So, Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14, it says this. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So Jesus, he's getting ready to address this church in, in Laodicea. And here's what we know about this, this city. It was a very wealthy and, and prominent city. In fact, it was considered to be the fashion capital of the world. And wealthy people, they would travel from all over the Roman Empire to this city to, to purchase clothing. It was also the medical center of the, the Roman Empire. They were highly advanced in their research and their technology and their, their medicine. And this church had been started, it had been planted in this really important and strategic church in the Roman Empire. 
But listen to what Jesus has to say to these believers, to this church. Verse 15. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You know, unlike the the church in Ephesus that we looked at last week, Jesus doesn't have anything good to say to this church. They're not getting A's or B's in, in, in any category. There's no words of affirmation. There's no words of encouragement. He gets straight to rebuke and straight to correction. He has some things he is wanting to address with this church. And he begins by using this analogy of being lukewarm, of being neither hot nor cold. I want you to think with me for a minute about a cup of coffee. Any, any coffee drinkers in here? All right. <clears throat> so coffee, that is my drug of choice. That is what I uh, rely on every day to get out of bed and to kind of maintain, uh, you know, even keel through, throughout the day. And here, here's why I know. People love hot coffee. Like early in the morning when you're trying to wake up, it's cold outside. There's nothing better than a hot cup of coffee. And people love iced coffee. You know, in the afternoon, it's hot. You need a little bit of a pick-me-up after lunch. There's nothing more refreshing than an iced cup of coffee. But here's what I also know. Unless you're a psychopath, nobody loves a cup of lukewarm coffee. You know that iced coffee that you pick up from Starbucks on your your way to work in the morning and you drink most of it and you leave some of it left in the cup in your car and you come out at five o'clock at the end of the day and it's just like all watery and all mixed together, like nobody's drinking that. Or you have that that cup of of hot coffee in the morning and you drink most of it, but then you leave the rest of it in in the mug in your sink and you come home at the end of the day and the creamer is like floating on the top and it's getting kind of kind of chunky. Like nobody is drinking that. Nobody likes a cup of lukewarm coffee. And Jesus describes the believers in this church as being lukewarm in their faith. They're like that nasty cup of coffee. They're not hot meaning that they don't have this deep desire and passion for Jesus. They're not pursuing him and growing in their faith, but at the same time they're not cold either. They haven't turned their back on Jesus. They haven't walked away from him. They haven't stopped believing in him. They are simply lukewarm. They're stagnant. They become complacent. And what does it mean to be complacent? What is complacency? Here's the definition I want to give you. Complacency is a feeling of uncritical satisfaction with oneself where you are content with with who you are and who you've become. You don't see a need to grow. You don't see a need to, to improve. You are good just kind of maintaining status quo. You have arrived at the destination, and you're not looking to go any further. You are all set. You're good. You've reached the destination. And unfortunately, I think many believers, many Christians, have fallen into a spiritual complacency where they are no longer growing and maturing in their faith. They're no longer becoming more and more like Jesus. They are fine with where they are. They're satisfied with who they've become. They're not looking to get to the next level. They're not looking to to follow Jesus at a deeper level. They have arrived. They're set. But A.W. Tozer said this, complacency is a deadly foe 
of all spiritual growth. Complacency kills spiritual growth in our life. And here's what I think makes complacency so, so dangerous. It's something that can lie beneath the surface in our heart for years and go completely undetected. It's one of those things that we can carry around with us and never notice it. We're never aware to it. And other people can't spot it in us. And here's why. Because complacency, it doesn't always come with bad behavior. Oftentimes, we look great on the outside. We're doing all the right things, but we are stagnant on the inside. We're playing the part. People would look at our life and think, man, they love Jesus. They're following Jesus. But on the inside, we are spiritually complacent. We have become lukewarm. It's one of the most dangerous things in our life. It kills spiritual growth. And how does Jesus feel about it? How does Jesus feel about spiritual complacency, about being lukewarm? Notice it doesn't say that it makes him mad. It doesn't make him feel disappointed or make him feel sad. It says that it makes him want to vomit. Spiritual complacency is one of the most offensive things to Jesus. In fact, he tells these believers, hey, I would rather you be cold towards me and just kind of walk away because then at least your actions would be consistent with your heart. I'm tired of you playing the game. I'm tired of you being lukewarm. Pick, are you in or are you out? Are you hot or are you, are, are, or are you cold? Spiritual complacency, it makes Jesus sick. So where does it come from? How does it develop in our life? What causes it in our life? Well, listen to what Jesus says in verse 17 of these, to, the, to this church. He says, you say, I am rich and I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire and, and so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your, your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. Simply put, spiritual complacency comes from self-sufficiency. And the believers in this church, these Christians, they had become completely self-sufficient. They said, we don't, we don't need a thing. They were wealthy. They had their fancy clothes. They were medically advanced. They had all they wanted, all that they needed. And as a result, they thought they didn't need God for anything. Say, hey, God, we're, we're good. We got it covered. We got it handled. We got it under control. You can sit on the sideline, and if we really need something, we'll let you know. We'll call you if there's a, there's a problem that we run into. But Jesus said that their self-sufficiency, their self-reliance, it had made them unaware. It had created some, some blind spots in their life, and although they felt rich, and they felt comfortable, and they felt secure. Jesus said, you know what? You're actually wretched. You're pitiful. You're poor. You're blind. Although they looked fine on the outside, everybody would have thought, man, they are following Jesus. They love Jesus. There was something terribly wrong on the inside. There was something wrong in their heart. Their self-sufficiency, it was just an illusion because they were actually lacking what they needed most. Jesus said they needed a different kind of gold. 
a different kind of clothing, a different kind of sight. And these things, they cannot be found in themselves or in their stuff or in their possessions or their achievements. They could only come from Jesus. He was the only one who could give them what they truly needed. And you see, I I think this church in Laodicea, a church that existed 2,000 years ago, I think it's the, the perfect picture and representation of the church today in the United States. You know, we, we have more resources than, than any Christians in the world. We have our retirement accounts, and we've got our multiple vehicles, and we have our vacation homes, and we have our, our iPhones. Like, we have more stuff, more possessions than we could ever possibly need. And as a result, we've become incredibly self-sufficient. We're very self-reliant. We're, we're comfortable, we're safe, we're secure. We can take care of ourselves. And because of this, I think many Christians have lost their passion and desire for God. And here's why. Because without dependence on God, we lose desire for God. When we stop looking to God to meet our needs, we stop looking to him at all. At all. And our self-sufficiency, our self-reliance begins to produce this complacency where we stop desiring and pursuing Jesus. We stop growing and becoming more like him and we end up becoming lukewarm and complacent in our faith. Man, I wonder, have have you become so self-sufficient, so self-reliant with your career and your success and your possessions that you have stopped looking to God to meet your needs? And has that self-reliance produced complacency in your life where you have stopped seeking after Jesus? You have stopped pursuing him and growing and becoming more and more like him. For the next few minutes, what I wanna do is I wanna give you four signs Four indicators of spiritual complacency in our lives. Because like I said, it it is so hard for us to identify. It's so hard for us to spot what is in our heart. But these signs, these indicators should should serve as like red flags and and flashing lights that there may be something wrong. That there may be something wrong in our heart. That there may be something going on beneath the surface that we need to pay attention to. So, four signs of spiritual complacency for us to to, to look at. The first one is this, is that you are stuck in the same sin that you were a year ago. You're stuck in the same sin today that you were a year ago. Now, when we become spiritually complacent, we stop fighting and resisting sin in our life. And we start to say things like, you know what, I'm just just always going to struggle with this. It's just who I am. It's just how I was raised. People just need to, they just need to get over it. People just need to, <clears throat> they just need to deal with it and accept it. It's just part of who I am. You know what? I'm just, I'm always going to have a temper. My dad had a temper. It's how I was raised. I'm just always going to have one. You know, I'm just always going to be a gossip. It's what me and my friends do. It's not a big deal, but I'm just always going to be a gossip. You know what? I'm a guy. I'm just always going to struggle with lust. You know, it's just kind of part of, of who I am. It's a part of being a guy. We start making excuses and we stop making progress. We stop pursuing accountability for that, for that sin in our life. 
We stop asking God for his help with it. We get lazy about putting boundaries in place to guard ourselves, and we just accept that this sin is always going to be a part of our life. Now, I'm not saying that if you are following Jesus and pursuing him that you're not going to struggle with sin. Like There are always going to be areas in our life that we're dealing with and, and having to work on, but the sin that we're dealing with today in 2023 should be different than the sin that we were dealing with the same time last year. Or we should at least be making progress in that area. I'm not talking about perfection, where you never mess up, you never fall into it, but I am talking about direction. You should be moving in the right direction. You should be moving forward and making progress. Like God should be working on different things in your heart today than he was last year. He should be going deeper in your heart where he's not just changing outward external behavior, but is really getting at what's going on in your heart, your motives, your desires, your thought life. But when we become complacent, we get stuck in this cycle, in this rut of falling into the same sin over and over and over. We stop fighting, we stop resisting, and we just get stuck. The second sign, the second indicator is this, <clears throat> is that you lack desire for God's word. And when we are spiritually complacent, we lack the desire and the hunger to spend time in God's word. And we can go days, weeks, months without ever opening God's word because we don't think it's important. We don't think it's necessary. We don't see it as the, the key to spiritual growth in our life. And, and showing up two or three times a month on a Sunday morning, hearing somebody preach God's word, that's enough for you. You don't need to spend time on your own. But listen, a, a desire and hunger for God's word is a sign of an active and growing faith. Because God's word, it is the ultimate catalyst for growth in our lives. It encourages us when we need it. It challenges us, it convicts us, it pours gas on the fire of our faith. In fact, listen to what Paul writes in 2 Timothy. He says, all scripture, it is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, the, the people that I have met that have the kind of faith that I want, people that I'm looking like, and I'm like, man, I want to follow Jesus the way that they do. Every single one of them, without exception, prioritizes spending time in God's word. Every single one. I'm not saying they're perfect. They don't have a 2,000-day uh, reading streak in the YouVersion Bible app. Like, they, they miss days, and they're not spending hours and hours every single day, but it's a priority. They spend time <clears throat> in God's word. They see it as the source of growth. And they, they know that to follow Jesus, they cannot do it without God's word in their life. It is the source of, 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 of everything for them. But when we stop growing, when we stall out, we lose that hunger, that desire to spend time with God through his word. Number three, the third sign is this. You go to God for what you can get from him, not because you love him. What is the, the primary focus of your prayer life? 
Is it spending time with God where you want to be with him and you want to hear from him? Or is your prayer life all about asking God to do something for you? Where the only time you go to God is when, God, I, I, I need help. I need you to fix this. I got this finance issue, this medical issue, this relationship issue. God, I'm coming to you because I need your help. See, when we are spiritually complacent, our prayer life becomes all about us. We don't go to God because of who he is. We don't go to God because we want to spend time with him. We go to God based on what we can get from him. We give him our demands. Here's my list. But we withhold our devotion. You see, our prayers, they reveal our priorities. Our prayers, they reveal and expose what is in our heart. And when our prayers are more about what we want and what we need and less about who God is, man, that should be a warning sign. There should be some some lights going off and flashing and saying, hey, maybe I have drifted, drifted into some complacency. Maybe I'm lukewarm in my faith. And finally, number four, You rarely talk about God in your conversations. So here's what what I know. We we talk about what we're passionate about, what we're excited about. When we go see a new movie that we love, we want to go and tell our our friends about it. When you see the the Buckeyes win on a Saturday against Michigan, I know it's been a couple years since that's happened, but uh, you want to go and you want to talk about it. When you go to a new restaurant or you go on some incredible vacation, you want to come back and you want to talk about it because we just naturally talk about the things that we're passionate about, the things that, that excite us. But when we are spiritually complacent, we don't talk about God that much. Because when God isn't doing much in our lives, there's not a whole lot to say about him. And I just wonder, like, how, how often does God come up in your conversations? Just think about the past weekend or the past week. How often are you talking about how good God is and what he's teaching you and what he's challenging you with and what he's convicting you with? When God is at work in your life, it's naturally going to come out. It's going to find its way to the surface because we talk about what we're passionate and excited about. Man, are, are any of these resonating? Man, are there some things that, that, that you realize, man, maybe, maybe I have drifted into some, some complacency. And listen, man, this is not me speaking at you. Man, there have been times in my life as a pastor, where the reason I'm spending time in God's word is because I got a sermon to prepare, not because I'm wanting to spend time with Jesus. There's been times where the, the reason I have something to say about Jesus is because it's a part of my job, not because God's doing a whole lot in my life. I think all of us, if we're honest, we find ourselves in seasons of, of complacency and seasons where we become lukewarm. So what do we do? How do we move forward? How, how, do we, how do we change this? Well, listen to what Jesus says in verse 19. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Now, you may have heard this verse quoted before that, hey, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and is knocking. And typically, this verse will be used to invite somebody to trust in Jesus for the first time. Hey, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart and you just need to let him in. You need to pray a prayer and you need to get saved. 
But here, Jesus is actually speaking to a group of believers, to Christians in the church. And he has found himself outside the walls of this church. They had become so self-sufficient. They had become so complacent that they didn't even recognize that Jesus wasn't in their church anymore. And he was just standing at the door and knocking and just waiting for somebody to let him in. Is Is that a picture of your life? Have you become so self-reliant that you've stopped looking to God to meet your deepest needs? And have you become so complacent that you haven't even noticed that Jesus really hasn't really been a part of your life in a while? I'm not saying you've lost your salvation. I'm not saying you've walked away from the faith, but you've been living your life. You've been doing your thing, and Jesus is on the outside looking in. Jesus is there knocking, just waiting for you to let him back in. Listen, if you have become spiritually complacent, if you're recognizing, man, this is my life, this is my heart right now, man, it's not because God has left you. It's not because God has stopped caring about you. It's not because God has stopped pursuing you. It's because you have closed the door. And you have stopped looking to Jesus as the only one and the only thing that can meet the greatest needs in your life. But here's the good news. Listen to what Jesus says next. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person they with me. You know, I believe this morning that, that Jesus is, is knocking on the door of, of some of your hearts. And Jesus said to to be earnest and to repent, to act quickly and turn in the other direction, to open the door and invite Jesus back into the center of your life and to see him as the only one who can meet the deepest needs of your soul. You know, one of our our core values here at LifePoint is spiritual intimacy. We believe that, that God desires to, to have a, a growing, thriving relationship with everybody. And we want to help you do that. We want to help you have that, that thriving relationship with Jesus. And maybe for some of you today, that looks like you taking your first step towards following Jesus. There's never been a time, there's never been a moment in your life where you have turned to Jesus for salvation, where you've cried out to him to rescue you and to save you and you've placed your your hope and your trust in him. And maybe today you need to begin that relationship with Jesus and take that first step. But maybe for some of you, you, you are a believer. You've been following Jesus for a long time. But if you were honest, if you really took a look at your heart and your life and your relationship with Jesus, you have fallen into complacency. You are lukewarm in your faith. You've been on autopilot and just drifting along. And today, Jesus is trying to get your attention. He's reminding you, hey, I've never left. And he's knocking at the door of your heart, wanting to to, to come back to the center and waiting for you to open that door. And he says, If you will open that door, he will come in and eat with you and you with him. You'll be in relationship with him. You'll be close with him. 
you'll begin to grow and to mature and to follow him again. And whatever that, that next step may be for you, we wanna help you take that. In the back of our room, we, we have an area called Next Steps and we have some people there from our team who are there to help you with what that is. And maybe today, you, you need to trust in Jesus for the first time. Or maybe you need to talk with somebody about getting baptized and going public with your faith. Or maybe you just need somebody to pray with you and, and, and talk with you. Or maybe you have questions. And we wanna help you with whatever that is. We wanna help you to take your next step in your faith journey as we follow Jesus together. So Father, we, we, we love you. God, we thank you that you never leave us, you never forsake us, that even the times where we turn away from you and we stop pursuing you and stop loving you, God, that you are always there, that you continue to pursue us, that you continue to knock at the door and are just waiting for us to invite you back to the center of our life. And Lord, I pray for believers, God, who have become complacent, who have become lukewarm in their faith, Lord, that you would help them to, to realize that today, that you would bring that to the surface and that they would repent, they would turn from that and turn back to you. And Lord, I lift those up, man, who have never taken that first step in faith, who have never turned to you for salvation, who have never placed their, their faith and their trust in you, God, that today would be their day, it would be their moment, that you would give them the confidence to take that step, to reach out to you, to have a conversation. Jesus, we, we love you. We thank you for your invitation to be with us, to be in relationship with us. We pray all of this in your name, amen.